Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you all. All thanks and praise is due to God. We seek God's help and forgiveness. We seek refuge in God from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever God guides will never be led astray. And whoever God allows to go astray will never find guidance. I bear witness that there is no God but God, alone without any partners. And I bear witness that Muhammad is God's servant and God's messenger. O oh, you who believe, be mindful of God as his gods do, and make sure you devote yourself to God to your dying moment. Quran chapter 3, ayat 102. Alhamdulillah for this day. Alhamdulillah for this opportunity to be together, to speak with all of you. And alhamdulillah for Dr. Debbie Almontasir. Thank you so much for, for presenting the, the, the thoughts that you did about the women in Quran. And also thank you for speaking up and representing some women so well. Thank you so much. February is celebrated each year as Black Heritage or Black History Month. So I thought it would be good to share some of the history of African-American Muslims in the United States in this month of February. So first, let me start with a history lesson. Muslims in the United States, well, there's a lot of misconceptions about Muslims in the United States. So let me try to go back and, and reiterate the history so that we understand. Many scholars believe that there were Muslim voyagers who arrived in the Americas before Columbus arrived in 1492, as you know. The first sizable wave of Muslims to come here were actually enslaved West Africans brought by the British to the East Coast. And the Spaniards also brought people of African descent to both Florida on the East Coast and California here on the West Coast. In fact, among the earlier settlers of the city of Los Angeles in 1781, were people of African descent, possibly Muslims, we don't know. So clearly Muslims have been here in the United States before the United States was the United States, Muslims. Scholars tell us that up to 30% of enslaved Africans were Muslims, despite the forced conversion of enslaved Africans to Christianity as part of slavery, there is history that enslaved Africans preserved some of their Islamic practices. For example, on the island of Sapelo, off the coast of Georgia, there are descendants of a man who was the imam for Muslims on that island during slavery times. His name was Muhammad Bilali. And of course, we know that Bilal was the companion of the prophet, peace be upon him. So it's obviously a Muslim name. Over time, his descendants anglicized the name Bilal to Bailey, and they used Bailey as their last name. So there are Islamic roots that go very deep in Georgia and other parts of the South. The melancholy rhythm of the blues is said to have come from the melody of the Quran when it was recited in the fields by enslaved Africans. There are countless individuals whose documented his stories prove the African roots of Islam in America, such as Abdul Rahman Ibrahima, who was an African Muslim prince who was enslaved in the Americas 
and his story was told in a documentary a few years ago called The Prince Among Slaves. Also another person, Omar Ibn Said, was a very literate, learned African Muslim. He knew Arabic. He wrote 14 manuscripts in Arabic as an enslaved person. In fact, there's a very um, interesting anecdote about his life. When his slave masters asked him to write the Lord's Prayer for the fellow slaves so that they could become you know, more involved with Christianity, he did write it out, but he didn't use the Lord's Prayer. He used al-Fatiha in Arabic. And of course, the slave masters didn't know Arabic, so they thought, oh yeah, he's doing the right thing. So little subversion there. So there's this history of African Muslims who were here in the United States. Now, as we know, Arabs, South Asians, Asians, and other people of Muslim ancestry have also immigrated to the United States. Uh, in many, many in large numbers in the 1960s, because there was the passage of what was called the Immigration and Naturalization Act in 1965. So lots of Muslims came during that period. But the largest number of Muslims in American history were Africans who were forcibly converted to Christianity. And a significant number of African Americans today are the descendants of those original enslaved Africans who were Muslims. And I like to think that I am, am one of them, that I'm a descendant of those original African Muslims. So, so though African Muslims were in the United States for centuries, the broadest influence of Islam in America comes through African Americans who embraced Islam beginning in the 1900s, in the 20th century. Some were exposed to a group called the Temple of Moorish Science that was founded by Noble Drew Ali in Newark, New Jersey in 1913. Some found uh, Islam through the Ahmadiyya Muslims. They were Indian immigrants who came and they were proselytizing about Islam among black people in the United States. But the greatest impact of Islam in America in the 20th century, 20th century was through a man named Elijah Poole. Elijah Poole was born in Georgia in 1897. He was a descendant of African slaves. He migrated to Detroit where he met an Arab Muslim, possibly Lebanese or Palestinian, who was a vendor in Detroit. He was a street seller in the 1930s. Elijah Poole and this man became, who, this man became known as Master Farad Muhammad they created what was called the Nation of Islam. And Elijah Poole changed his name to Elijah Muhammad and became known as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam. He changed his name from Poole because it was the name of the Europeans who had enslaved his ancestors. And he told his followers in the Nation of Islam that they too should change their names. Their original African names were lost, they were unknown. So they should dispose of the European names and replace it with an X. Of course, the most famous member of the Nation of Islam was Malcolm X. The message of the Nation of Islam spread throughout the United States 
from the 1930s onward. Now the philosophy, the position of the nation of Islam, although it had Islam in its name, was that black people were superior to white people. That black, brown, yellow, red, all were good people. But the white people were not really human, they were devils. They were an artificially created species and they were the cause of slavery, colonization, oppression that everybody else in the world was suffering. So they taught the nation of Islam philosophy was that in order for all everybody to be freed of this white devil, that there had to be a separation, they had to separate. And so they asked the United States government to give blacks a separate state or a territory somewhere in the United States or somewhere else, whatever, so that the separation could happen. Okay, if you understand the religion of Islam, this is not a philosophy about white people that the Quran would support, that any people are devils, right? That any people, humans are, are, are not human, right? That anyone could inherit sins or be held responsible for anything, any kind of crime that they didn't even commit, okay? That's what the religion, the text in Quran says. So if you know the story of Malcolm X, you know that he realized this later in his life. And he, went, he, made the Hajj to, he made the Hajj to Mecca for his pilgrimage. And he saw there, graphically described in his autobiography, he met people who would be considered white people in the United States, but they treated him well. They treated him without racism, without judging him being him, his, him, him being inferior. Okay, and he learned after starting to study the actual text of the Quran that Islam did not support the superiority of any race over any other, even if as a response to injustice or inequality, it, it just doesn't condone that. So as a result of that, he rejected the nation of Islam's philosophy and he started studying the Quran and the true tenets of the religion of Islam but his life was cut short. He was assassinated in 1965, only a few months after returning from Hajj. I will remind you what happened next in the second part of Kutbah. I say what I've said, may Allah forgive us all. Alhamdulillah, all praise and thanks are due to God. So let me pick up on the story of Malcolm X. As you know, as I mentioned, he was, he was assassinated in 1965, but it wasn't until 10 years later after the death of Elijah Muhammad in 1975, 10 years later, that the son of Elijah Muhammad, a man named Warth Dean Muhammad, shifted the nation of Islam to the religion of Al-Islam. Now, Warth Dean Muhammad had been taught Quranic Arabic and he had studied the Quran as a young man and he had, he had been educated in the Nation of Islam schools that were, had been founded by his mother, a woman named Clara Muhammad. And one important part of the history is that his mother, Clara Muhammad, was truly a shero in recognizing that her son 
and all black children at that time were not being taught well in the public schools. They were not being taught their true value as human beings. So she decided that she would start her own school. She started a national, a nationwide network of schools for the Nation of Islam. And uh, you know, our, our Katiba, Priscilla Al-Ukta, -Al is a graduate of one of the Claire Muhammad schools. They were all over the country. Um, she, I believe, attended the school here in Los Angeles. My own children attended the Sister Claire Muhammad schools in San Diego and Atlanta. After her death, they were renamed for her. So they're the Claire Muhammad schools to this day. So when Wardi Muhammad made the shift to the religion of Islam, I think it's really important to understand the significant influence that it has had in American life, especially among black Americans. Wardi Muhammad encouraged Muslim followers to replace the X that they had in the, in the nation of Islam to names that were used in the Quran. So since that time, lots of people have changed their names to names like Jamal, and Kareem, Rashida, Aisha, Hakeem, African-Americans. And we all know this, we know people with these names. My husband and I, we named our own children Muslim names, Arabic, names that we had found in the Quran. And that was, that was repeated many, 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 many times throughout you know, families all across the United States and including people who were not Muslim. Some of these people named their children with what we would call Muslim names, but they were not practicing Muslims. And also the culture began to become more interested and more um, accepting of non-European um, culture and, and like hairstyles and fashion and even holidays. And we all know this, Kwanzaa is a holiday that's celebrated by African-Americans. Kwanzaa was actually founded by a man named Ron Karenga, who was a former member of the Nation of Islam. So that influence, there's a through line, there's this huge influence of, of people who came out of the community that was Malcolm X. Even before Malcolm X, they changed names. They went into uh, a different kind of a cultural place that is still felt and has a major influence today in American culture. One final uh, example is a congressman. Uh, many of you heard about him lately. His name is Hakeem Jeffries. He's a Democratic congressman from New York. Hakeem, obviously an Islamic name. He's not Muslim. He's a Christian Baptist. But this is another example of how the culture has picked up on that influence. And otherwise, too, you know, diet. I know a lot of African Americans who don't eat pork, not because they're Muslim, but just because you know it's not. They didn't think it was right to do so. Anyway, that, there's a long list of influences that we could talk about. So that influence comes from African Muslims. But here's the question: What was the purpose of the Nation of Islam if it wasn't really about Islam as it was taught in the Quran? I would argue that it was an important step for black people to hear a message that ran counter to what American society was saying at the time, starting in the 1930s. American society was saying, and still is saying actually, that black people are inferior, that black people are not as intelligent as white people or anyone else, that the black body is ugly, 
that black culture is inferior and many other false ideas. The nation of Islam and its ideology was an anecdote to that. It was, it was an anecdote to the society that was telling people that, you know, white people are superior. The nation of Islam said that not only are you, you black person, not inferior, but the person who is oppressing you is inferior. So the black Muslims were taught to memorize this statement. They were taught to say, and I'm quoting, because I memorized this, the original man is the Asiatic black man, the maker, the owner, the cream of the planet earth, God of the universe. So this, this statement affirms their superiority. The black people are actually superior. And it was like the reverse psychology kind of thing. So I'm really, I'm really grateful that I was, I was exposed to the nation of Islam. Um, I was, I converted to Islam and um, became Gale 3X in the 1970s. But by 1975, I realized that this philosophy of superiority was not sustainable, at least for me. It didn't, it didn't work for me in my life. So when Warthi Muhammad came into the leadership of the Nation of Islam in 1975, about six months after I became a black Muslim, he pivoted the message to the Quranic message of universal, reality, of universal values that all humanity is, is, is the same regardless of race and that we're all the same human species. And I'm really grateful for that. So the Quran as we know, and Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, condemned racism so much so that he, that the Prophet centered the topic of racial equity in his final sermon, he talked about, you know, no one, a black not being above a white and a white not being above a black. He says this 1400 years ago. So another question for you, if that's what Prophet Muhammad said and that's what the Quran said, is the Muslim Ummah today without racism? No, of course not, of course not. I know Muslims personally who have espoused racially, clearly racially, racially, charged ideas, racist ideas, basically, about other people. All of us live in a society of, of racism is prominent, and that's what we're trying to deal with right now not in our society. And we can't help but have internalized all these concepts, things that I was talking about, you know, skin color and all this. We live in societies, we have to acknowledge, where there's a European standard, that white European skin color the white standard of beauty, the white body type, and many different measures are valued over all others. And that affects all of us. And this is throughout the world. This is not just in some countries, it's everywhere. I'll give you a, a good example in my own family. When one of my cousins saw a photo of my new son-in-law, so a few years ago, his first comment was, he's so dark. He's so dark. I didn't know what he was talking about. He says, many, meaning his skin color is dark, meaning dark is bad. It's a negative trait. This is, this is the reality, okay? We're not immune to it. But there is a cure, and the cure is in our holy book, in the Quran. What does it say? Quran chapter 30, ayat 22. 
and among God's signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth and the diversity of your languages and your colors. Indeed, in that are signs for people of knowledge. Chapter 30, Ayat 22. Another place. Do you not see that Allah sends down rain from the sky with which we bring forth fruits of different colors? And in the mountains are streaks of varying shades of white, red, and raven black, just as in people, living beings, and cattle are of various colors as well. Of all Allah's servants, only the knowledgeable of Allah's might are truly in awe of Allah. Allah is indeed almighty, all forgiving. Quran chapter 35, ayat 27 to 28. One more. Oh humanity, oh humanity, not Muslim, oh humanity, mankind. Indeed, we created you from a male and a female and made you into peoples and tribes so that you may get to know one another. Surely the most noble of you in the sight of Allah is the most righteous among you. Allah is truly all knowing, all aware. Chapter 49, Ayat 13 of the Quran. This is the message of Islam. Our test is can we live up to it in our own lives? Can we live up to what the Quran is calling us to? So in closing, I pray for the, the courage to confront it in myself and in others. I pray for the courage to do this. I pray for, that all of us will have the courage to do what we are commanded to do. God commands justice, doing good, and generosity towards relatives. And God forbids what is shameful, blameworthy, and oppressive. God teaches you so that you may take heed. Recite what has been revealed to you of the book and stay consistent in prayer. Indeed, prayer restrains the human from lewd and wicked behavior. But the remembrance of God is even greater. And God knows everything you are doing. Quran 29, ayat 45. Let us perform the prayer. 